verse this morning is found in the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 7. I'd like to begin the reading with verse 13. The 7th chapter of the Evangelium Matthäus, anzufangen mit dem 13. Vers. The Evangelium Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go thereat, go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And when then will I confess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And therefore, whosoever hear these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock and every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes brothers and sisters and friends when brother Eckert introduced me or said that I was here as your serving elder the thing that touched me is when he asked you to be mindful of me in prayer and the brothers always say that and I would like to thank every one of you that has done exactly that as the brothers have asked you to pray for me with your prayers I would like to Look, at, look into this word here that we have read and see what God has for all our hearts. The seventh chapter is still part of the Sermon on the Mount. 
If we would have read the sixth chapter, the fifth chapter, and the third chapter, we would have read some of the most, not some of the most, the most beautiful teachings that are available on this earth. And they are the words of Jesus Christ. Very gentle, very loving, very pure, very beautiful, and not offensive at all. That no man and no nation and no family can find fault with. But he closes the Sermon on the Mount with a very sobering message. And we have read that, a part of that, this morning. And in order for us to understand it, and for the people at that time to understand it, he used parables, or painted pictures. The most effective way of teaching, and the best way that you retain what is being said, and what is being taught, is by what you see, through your eyes. Experts tell us now that at least 70% of what you and I have retained as knowledge has come through what we have seen. And the first picture that the Lord paints us here is, he says, entering at the straight gate. Straight and a gate. 2,000 years ago, that was understood beyond the shadow of a doubt, what it meant. 2,000 years later this morning, there's not one of us here that does not understand what it means, straight and a gate. And then there is a narrow gate that leads one direction, and then there is a wide gate that leads another direction. <clears throat> And then comes, he teaches us, a false prophet. So that we might understand for all ages how to test a prophet. He again paints a picture to us of a tree. Of a fruit tree and of a tree that is not a fruit tree that bears thorns. And who is here this morning that does not recognize a fruit tree? And by what do you recognize it? By its fruits. If you should ever come in doubt, maybe have troubles distinguishing, have bad eyesight. Maybe you are raised in the city and you have never been in a fruit orchard. Maybe you even come to the tree at night. And if you touch it, it will prick you. And you know and every one of us know that that is not a fruit tree. Who is among us this morning that would expect to go to a rose bush, to a wild rose bush of which I'm very familiar with on the 47 acres that I live? The wild rose bushes, when I go into the brush, into the woods, they even prick you through the gloves that you wear, through the two layers of clothing that you have. And you are hooked on the left and on the right, and you try to loosen yourself from one. By the time you're loose from one, you're hooked to two more. I have never met the man or the woman and seen the man or the woman that expected fruit in an environment like that. 
Then, my loved ones, we read of how God is going to treat. And who is going to do it? Jesus Christ is going to be there at the final judgment. And Jesus Christ is going to make the distinction to the left and to the right. Jesus Christ is going to make the final judgment. But we know already here upon this, upon this earth, in this life, on which side we're going to go by the picture that we have painted here. My loved ones, do we live in those days where the false prophets are? Are the false prophets active today? I'm not going to go into the meditation. We'd like to have a members meeting yet today, this morning. I'm going to leave early this afternoon. I'd like to make the message short. I've been asked also to add some in German. I'm not going to go in word for word. I really have to depend that the Lord will add his blessings to the weak word that has been spoken and to the few words that will be spoken. We know how to distinguish now between one fruit between one tree and another, and so also apply that to prophets, to people that speak like I am speaking this morning before you. And even you are to ask to prove what I am saying and what my life is. The Lord then goes on and says, and he speaks to us about, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. Now that we have heard the Lord's sayings, we have read them, and we have read them, I hope and trust, all of you before. And now that we hear them, the Lord says he will liken you, me, this morning to a builder. And as I look over you, there are some builders here building houses. But I also would like to remind you that every one of us are builders here this morning. Every one of us are builders. Last night we were richly reminded of the importance of a family and that we are a part of a family and that we are builders of a family. And we were richly reminded of how to build that family. We are building, brothers and sisters and friends, friendship. We're building families. We're building credit. We're building a church. I'm building automobiles for my daily work. We're building houses. We're building highways. We're all builders. Who is here this morning that does not understand the building trades and building? Who is here this morning that does not understand the importance of a foundation? In Mansfield, I've built twice, and our oldest son has built now once too. We laid a foundation, then we waited before we laid the first block for the foundation inspector to approve. The importance of building upon a rock, on a solid foundation. 
We have concrete now. We can build anywhere and pour the concrete, make it solid. In ages past, before concrete, in the time of Jesus Christ, you had to go and look for a rock foundation and then build your house. And if you hear the word of God this morning and you do the word of God and you do the will of God, the Lord likens you unto a wise builder that built his house upon a solid rock foundation. And don't forget that we are all building this morning. Are you building on a solid rock foundation? And the test is, are you doing the will of God? And let me read to you what the first thing is on the will of God. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance. If your house is going to stand the test, it's going to have to be built upon Jesus Christ and his words. And the first foundation stone that you must lay is repentance. God is not willing that any man should perish, but that every man should come to repentance. And just because God hasn't blown the house over that you have built, if it is built on sand, does not mean that God is not going to come and test it. It means he is patient, and he's waiting for you to build upon the rock of Jesus Christ. This morning to the unconverted, God says, repent. Repent and be converted before the test comes. To the believer who has built on the rock of Jesus Christ, he says to you and to me that you are not exempted from the storms of life, Look upon this picture. The same storm that came upon the house that was built on the sand came also upon the house that was built on the rock. And he didn't come and look at the house and said, This house is two degrees out of plumb, and I will not accept it. The house that was built upon the rock, he didn't come and say, The door doesn't have the right paint job. The wall shows a crack. He didn't say, I'm expecting a perfect house. But he says, I'm expecting a house, and he promised the house that will stand is the house that is built on the rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're discouraged, my dear brother and my dear sister, the way things have been going with your spiritual life. But is your house built on a rock, and does it still stand there? And when the winds blow up on it, thank God. Fall on your knees. Thank God for Jesus Christ. And this morning, if your house is built upon sand, the Bible calls you foolish. If you're not doing the will of God, and you're building, and I know you're building, the Bible, Jesus Christ, likens you to a foolish man. Because you're building, perhaps, with the same materials, but you have not repented. 
You have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. You're running your own life. You're running your own world. And you're saying, I'm all right. I'm just as good as the other man is. And from the top, you can't even tell the foundation apart. But the wind will come and test it. And the brother and the sister that is obediently building on Jesus Christ will be hearing the words, enter into life eternal. Thou good and faithful servant. <coughs> In closing, let me take five minutes to paint another picture for you. And I'd like to ask you to forbear with me for those of you that heard me use it before. Maybe it will be a refresher to you and those that have never heard the picture and never seen the picture painted. Maybe you can learn something from it. There is much talk now, and many of you have read it. I have read it in National Geographic. When people two years ago, I believe, went looking for the Titanic, and many people have set out to look for it, none have ever found it. For the first time it's been found. And it brought a refreshing to me of what I once read before. And it was my privilege to hear personally speak a man that was a survivor of the Titanic. His name was James Goldsmith. And I'd like to paint you a picture of the Titanic on one side and draw a spiritual analogy on the other side. The Titanic was, first of all, the unsinkable ship. Secondly, it was the biggest maritime disaster in maritime history on its maiden voyage. As James Goldsmith, as a young teenager, I believe, walked on the ship with his mother and father, someone much better off than they were walked in front of them and someone carried their suitcases. <clears throat> and the lady said to the man that carried the suitcases who worked for the White Star Liners, who owned the Titanic, said, Sir, is it true the Titanic is unsinkable? The porter that carried the suitcases on says, Ma'am, God himself could not sink the Titanic. We look upon that now as foolish. Put yourself in the dirt shoes. The advertisement, what the news and everything brought about the Titanic, how it was built. I'm not going to go into the details. I know the exact details. It was an unsinkable ship. In 1912, on the 14th of April, shortly before midnight, it ran into an iceberg. And National Geographic said they had found all four throttles to all four engines in its wide open position forward, resting on the seashore, on the, sea, on the bottom of the sea. Though the captain was warned of the iceberg, he had the throttles forward to the stop of all four turbines. My loved ones, the Titanic today is the world. Two hours and 40 minutes later, the Titanic disappeared below the sea. 2,224 passengers got on the ship 
in Southampton, England. And everyone that got on the Titanic wanted to be listed, and those that were special were listed separate. There were chairman of the boards, presidents, they all wanted to be listed separate. There were English, there were Irish, there were German, there were French, there were people from all nations. They all wanted to be listed separate, and there were many, many lists of the 2,224 people. James Goldsmith related to us in a, 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 a happening on that. A very, very rich man was on board, and his butler, his servant, came up and said, Sir, the Titanic is sinking. There is ice on the deck. We have hit an iceberg. You know what the man said? Took his whiskey bottle off of the shelf, poured it out, and said to his porter, Go and get me some ice so I can drink my whiskey with the ice. He didn't believe for a moment that Titanic was sinking. He believed that it was unsinkable. Then the orders came into the lifeboats. People started going down the lifeboats. Some believed, some didn't. The majority didn't believe. They didn't even want the lifeboats. James Goldsmith and his mother went in there and they tried to take some, he was a young teenager, tried to take some of the things along with him. The man, as they went down the straight and narrow ladder, said, Oh no, nothing. Well, i got to take something with me. There were millionaires that had gold, gold bullions with them. Leave everything behind. My loved one, straight into narrow is the gate. That leads to life everlasting. And anything that you have in this world must stay behind at the gate as you enter in. As you come into the lifeboat, which I would like to picture as a church, you have to leave everything behind. Because if you take it with you, the man that was in charge of the lifeboat said, what you want to take with you will sink the lifeboat. What you want to bring with you from the world into the church will sink the church. The church will go with the world if you bring it in. Are you going to a church that has the world with it? That church is already sunk. sunk. And just as soon as the lifeboats were filled, they were urged to pull away from the Titanic because the water was swirling into it and was sucking the lifeboats in. <coughs> and to the church, on Western Road in Toronto, I'd like to say this morning, pull away from the world. So don't pull you in. Though you're in the church already, pull away from it, it will pull you in. And then Mr. Goldsmith says, as he was as a young teenager sitting in this lifeboat only three or four inches from the water going into it, filled to capacity with passengers, a safe was floating by with gold in it, stamped on it, owned by Macy's of New York the owner, the chairman of the board. The poor people who never owned gold, you know what they wanted to do? They want to fish it out and bring it in the lifeboat. Think of the opportunity of making that money now. What a temptation. You know what the man did that was in charge of the lifeboat? He took his oar and hit the people on the hands. He says, what are you going to do? You're going to sink us all? 
for gold? You want the gold to go under with you? That which you want to bring in into the lifeboat, you can sink the lifeboat. The most touching analogy is then when Mr. Goldsmith arrived in New York as he was rescued by a ship that came to the rescue. The White Star Liner in the office in New York, there was again 2,224 names, just like in Southampton in the old world, as it was called in the new world. Not one name was missing. But it was no longer perhaps under 50, 60, or 70 headings. They were no longer German, French, Romanians, Hungarians, Argentinians, Spanish, whatever they were. No, no. It was different. They were no longer the chairmen of the board, the presidents, and that. No. There were 711 names on one side and 1,315 on the other side. Over the seven, 711 it said saved. Over the 1,513 it said lost. Remember, straight is the gate. Narrow is the way. You've got to leave everything behind. Pull away from the world as a church. And whatever you are, that might pull in this life. But in the new life, in the new world, there'll be only two kinds of people. The lost and the saved. Are you in the lifeboat? Are you in the Titanic? If you're still on the Titanic, it is on a head-on collision. We have read here. It is on a head-on collision with the judgment of Jesus Christ. The trials are full forward, in full forward position. Don't waste any time any longer on the Titanic. It will make it just that much more devastating, the collision when it takes place. Believe it. The Lord Jesus Christ says it. He will judge the world. And wide is the road. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Have you prayed in the beginning for your servant that stands before you? And has God heard your prayer?